Hello, everyone, and welcome to the LifeSphere podcast, where we aim to shed light on the significance of innovation in life sciences, the people, the challenges, and success stories, all while educating, inspiring, and empowering professionals. And today, I am very honored to have as my guest, Elena Blavitt, Vice President, Business Development at Onco Nano Medicine. Elena brings over 19 years of experience in leadership roles in organizations ranging from startups to Fortune 100 corporations in various therapeutic areas, including oncology, surgery, cardiology, and neurology. Prior to joining Onco Nano Medicine, Elena served as Executive Director of Program Management at Tasha Gene Therapies, where she led strategic partnerships of the company's leading assets in neurodegenerative space. Prior to that, she served in a variety of strategic and alliance roles at Myocardia, acquired by BMS, Pharma Cyclics, AbbVie, and Ethicon Business Surgery, J&J. She is an investor and part of a biotech screening committee at J Ventures, and she earned her Bachelor of Science in Economics and Biology and a Master of Science in Medical Science from Tel Aviv University, Israel. Welcome. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you, Kathy. I'm delighted to be here. So you have quite a background and history. And, you know, in your space that you're currently working, I wonder if you can talk just a little bit about what you see as some of the greatest advancements in life sciences right now. Maybe talk a little about oncology space. Yeah, more than happy. So oncology space is very challenging. It's one of the major causes of death. It's kind of the continuous competition between oncology and cardiology. There are a lot of modalities in oncology space. There may continuously introduction of new type of modalities, new medications or combination of medications. And I can call out and buy specific antibodies on ADCs, cell therapies that are more and more advanced However, one of uh, the things that's happening, it takes a while to pick up in this particular spaces. It's not necessarily when one type of modality will be approved uh, in the same year. The next year, you'll have approval of the same type of modality. And for patients, it's, it might be very challenging because the clock is ticking for them. They don't, they can't wait. And the, uh, one of the advancements I want to call out on is the advancements in biospecific antibodies. So all of us have antibodies. They're part of our immune system. Our antibodies in the body are shaped as a V-shaped, sorry, Y-shaped proteins. You can cut it. It's Y-shaped, Y-shaped proteins. And they bind like a lock to and the key to the body for invaders, whether it's a virus or a bacteria, they also, in, in, in case of cancer, should recognize cancer cell as a foreign cell. However, it's not always happening. And, and nowadays, there are a lot of engineered antibodies that uh, can, their goal is actually to recognize to try to recognize these cancer cells as a foreign cells and make sure that they will be eliminated. Only last year, there were five uh, biospecific antibodies approved. The One of the things I need to also caveat, and I don't want to focus on immunology space as we speak, 
But these type of antibodies can also be effective in autoimmune diseases. However, let's focus on oncology. It's big enough uh, as exactly. well. And one, one type of these specific biospecific antibodies I want to call out is called uh, T-cell engagers. So what happened in this particular type of anti biospecific antibody, you have one part of the antibody that connects to the cancer cell. The other type of antibody connects to T-cell that is our T-cell in our immune system. And it, and it but by the fact that it's engaged the T-cells, it helps them to recognize the tumors and can increase in you know, migration of cytokines and apoptosis of the cells. And that way, the body itself starts recognizing the tumor cell as a foreign matter. And mm -hmm. this first T-cell engager was approved in 2014. However, since there were bits and pieces of T-cell engagers that were improved, approved, but it's not fully there yet. Gotcha. So obviously a very challenging space. There's a lot of different types of cancers. And so that probably contributes to a multiplier on all the different ways that you need to approach. And then you've got gender specific and some other things like that. So, um, you know, the challenge I think you were talking about is there's just a tremendous unmet need. And, um, you know, the patients, as you mentioned, are waiting, right? There isn't really just a, a, a forever timeline available. Um, so I imagine that kind of creates a pressure uh, to kind of win that race against time because, of course, as we said, the patient's waiting. And I, I wonder if you can talk maybe a little bit about some advancements that um, you're personally working with. Um, it's interesting. I think you have a platform called the Onboard Platform. Maybe you can share a little bit about, you know, what's unique and and what what that is kind of trying to accomplish. So I definitely want to share more information about the platform because it's very exciting. First, I want to talk a little bit how our company Onco Nano Medicine was formed. The Onco Nano Medicine uh, was formed based on technology that's been out from University of Texas Southwestern. Our CSO is Bob Langer's caller, and he is a brilliant chemical engineer who specializes in my cells. His co-founder, Dr. Baran Sumer, is an ENT oncology surgeon. And they're actually co-located in UT Southwestern. The offices are one next to another. And one of the first ideas they had how can we visualize solid tumors better? The biggest challenge oncology surgeons experiencing is whether during the surgery they really removed all the tumor. The first question that being asked by the families when they exit the surgical arena is whether they removed it all. And, and no doubt they, they try their best. They have images that were acquired prior. They try to palpitate and touch the tissue. But still, you can never be certain for 100% that you didn't leave disease behind. And the first asset that we encapsulated with our platform is endocyanine green that is used routinely to see perfusion of the blood vessels. One of the unique uh, if, I don't know if the right word to say features of our platform, it's my cells that encapsulate asset and it stayed encapsulated and masked in a 
blood flow. However, the release will happen in a more acidic environment. And it's a known scientific fact that the environment around the tumor is acidic because of the glycolytic processes that are happening inside the tumor. And we, using this particular effect, we deliver it directly to the tumors, to solid tumors. And we, with our lead asset, pexidocyanine, encapsulated endocyanine grade, we already dosed more than 135 patients. We completed a phase two clinical trial in peritoneal metastatic cancer. And peritoneal metastatic cancer is an advanced disease. It's a stage four disease. It, the tumors can come from numerous sources. It can be ovarian, appendiceal, gastric. It's a long surgery. And surgeons just open the peritoneum and go through the entire area and look at the, you know, try to find tumors. How it's operates in the, in, the, in, the, in this realm is uh, patients are getting one IV injection 24 to 72 hours prior. Surgeon will complete the surgery as she or he planned to do. And afterwards, they can bring near infrared camera and see what it lits up. Mm. And unfortunately for the patients, uh, fortunately for those who were in the clinical trial, in 50% of the cases, there was disease left behind. So in 20 out of 40 patients in our phase two clinical trial, there was disease left behind, which was obviously resected, sent to biopsy. That's how, how we verify that it actually a real malignant uh, tumor. And in addition, um, you know, the two, we were able to visualize tumors as small as one, uh, sorry, three millimeters. Mm. So it's it's pretty remarkable. And nowadays we also try to utilize this kind of, this type of micelles, and it's a library of micelles. It's not one fit all micelle to use for therapeutics because obviously we already proved that it can come directly to the tumor and uh, release at the tumor microenvironment based on the optical imaging agent. So we engage with a variety of modalities as cytokines by specific antibodies, T-cell engagers that we deliver directly to solid tumors. And one of the nicest things we saw in our therapeutic work is that we are able to turn whole tumors, tumors that generally immune system don't really react to, to hot tumors. Meaning we're able through these biospecific antibodies that we able to release at the tumor microenvironment, make our own immune system to react to the tumor. And also by while we comparing uh, payload that is encapsulated in our onboard versus non-encapsulated payload, we can see that we can actually deliver more and enhance the therapeutic window because the same amount of naked payload actually causes toxicities and even mortality of uh, the animals. So this this is kind of transition from one uh, place of optical imaging agents showing how the tumors can look like, where they are located and, uh, and what their size versus ability to actually provide therapeutic value to the patients. Right. Very exciting stuff. So, you know, augmenting again this this uh, the science with more technical capabilities, it 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 really is really accelerating some of the science and, and the way that therapies are getting to patients. Um, 
So I wonder, there's a lot in what you were just describing there about what you guys are working on. And it seems like you must have had quite a bit of a career path in order to end up where you are currently today. And then we can talk about maybe later where you might be going. Um, But maybe you can just share, you know, how did you come to this space? I know you had a couple of, uh, of, of companies that you work for, but, you know, more about, you know, I know you went to school. Um, Did you start out thinking you were going to be in biotech? Um, And, and did you think always cancer? I'm just, I wonder, you know, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I, I studied biology. Originally, I, I wanted to go to medical school. It didn't pan out for various reasons. Yeah, I ended up with a degree with biology and economics. It was outside of the U.S. I studied in Israel. And I ended up as my first job becoming a medical representative. And, you know, back back in the day outside of the U.S., it was pretty good opportunity. I got a car, company car. I had the you know, interesting medications that are promoted. The boundaries were a little bit blur back then when it comes to compliance, because nowadays you have sales representatives and you had you have MSLs. But if if you look at the lens of, of what I actually did, it was probably 60 percent MSL work and 40 percent sales representative work, which made it much more interesting for me based on my scientific background. And I just continue. I always wanted to challenge myself more, eventually ending up um, actually getting a business development role about 15 years ago in a small size startup called Omrex, which manufactured and developed products from human plasma. And I, I, I had responsibilities on some geographic areas uh, outside of Israel and outside of Europe. And eventually I ended up being, the company was acquired by Ethicon Biosurgery, uh, which led me to my kind of longest tenureship at J&J, because my career had a lot of transitions, but at J&J I actually spanned good six years, and there I had the opportunity to do things I didn't plan to do. Because subsequently, after the acquisition, I transitioned to a role I never even knew that exists. I ended up being in quality assurance for about two years. Mm. And at the time, we had a lot of challenges in this particular arena. And I had a chance to work with exceptional individuals, ex-FDA, who were in staff at J&J. And those are the individuals who taught me how to approach quality. And that's something I never, ever planned. When I was told you're gonna to go to quality, I actually asked, I don't know what they're doing. I actually prefer <laughs> to be in regulatory affairs because at least I know what they're doing. Right. So, uh, but I, that's where I think it's very important to see what's really the opportunity in hand and not necessarily say no to things because eventually, you build your career by the individuals who surround you and who mentor you and can, can support you. And that's the advice I give to the people who start off. Find the people who are actually going to help you and mentor you. It doesn't matter what exactly you're going to do. It's not necessarily what you end up doing. You'll have to switch jobs probably in the current market mm-hmm. and environment multiple times, but at least you'll develop skill set. And will be in a positive environment that will enable you to continue growing. 
it's kind of um it's so interesting so economics and biology and it's funny you bring up quality because of course quality is one of the there's so many 4.0s right but quality is a 4.0 as well life sciences manufacturing all of them kind of leveraging technology in order to to better improve and of course the end game for everyone is is better patient outcomes so you've been uh working i guess in this space for more than 20 years um and you have the background that i think a lot of people find um very important as far as conversation and dialogue around education and that is the, the stem uh education, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, how do you think, and first of all, your combination of economics and biology is probably extremely attractive because, you know, um, if you can't commercialize whatever the therapeutic is, no one has access to it. So you do have to understand the cost, the time, and all those components. So working in a startup, you have all these kind of different perspectives that kind of kind of formed where you are now. But how do you approach or maybe you can talk a little bit about what your perspective and thoughts are on how just really how important that kind of education is it's really hard to go back and take chemistry after you're out of college and sort of you know what i mean like yeah yeah i think it's i'm i'm i feel very very blessed that i studied economics actually because one of the things it opened up my mind to think about strategy and you kind of as as Malcolm Gladwell mentioned in his book you need to do something for and I, I don't re recollect the exact number x amount of times in order to master it and because we played a lot of these strategic exercises continuously in class with you know with our professors and between ourselves and group work when I started working a bit on, on more strategic programs and leading strategy it i just saw it like i i didn't i i didn't have to make a lot of effort to see how all these dots are being connected and it enabled me to um you know advance and when i moved to the us i, I started in a consulting firm being a program management in a uh, in a consulting firm and that's where i had an opportunity to work at just therapeutics across their portfolio and see what the right strategies are for assets which also advanced me afterwards to a different therapeutic area. I moved to pharmacyclic MV where I I didn't work in oncology in the past, but you know my scientific background enabled me to understand the oncology piece and clinical piece. And actually, mm -hmm. I had a chance as well to to get a gain a master's in medical science, which would had more of a clinical orientation to it. And the marriage of it to strategy through my you know, my education in economics. Yeah. And and getting a drug to market uh, in today's world versus 25 years ago. Right. I mean, the landscape has changed massively. It's it's competitive. It's expensive. Um, it, we're talking billions now uh, to commercialize. And, um, you know, it can take 16 years. And we talked earlier that, you know, people just can't wait 16 years. Um, I'm interested um, to, to hear a little bit about, you know, just how do you see um, how do you see everything that you've kind of worked on? If you were to look back, would you have done anything differently? Would you is there anything that you wish for that perhaps you don't have now? I know you're an extremely busy person. So is, is there 
Yeah, I think you know, it was pretty intense times for me when I, I studied and worked majority of, of my kind of B-science and then oh, master's wow. for sure. I was working full time when I did the master's and actually didn't have a lot of chance to kind of only study. And I yeah. think that's something that I missed to a certain extent because I could have gone deep, you know, had a chance to go deeper into uh, the learning process. But but otherwise, I think I, I don't regret much. You know, my career passions eventually uh, because I, I like to look at that glass that's half full. Yes, yeah. there were seed, there are sometimes seedbacks and there are sometimes advancements. And career is a marathon. I don't believe that it's going to happen day one. You build on those skills gradually. And especially nowadays, you need to always think what are the transitional skills that you can transition to something else? And what are the skills that you can just easy see through your computer? And nowadays with ChatGPT, it solves yeah. <laughs> some of this ability. Right. And, and, and continue building on those skill sets and also develop a wide network of individuals around you. Because at the end of the day, you won't have a successful company it's if you won't have the right individuals. It's the marriage between the science and the people. And that's where you having this network and interact with others, mentor others, help others when you can help them. And nowadays, it's unprecedented times. A lot of people are looking for jobs. And sometimes you can help. Sometimes you don't. But at least you, you can try. And right. that's, I think, what builds you eventually as a professional and a leader. I think um, I love the fact that you talked about a career being a marathon um, because, you know, and, and marathons take different paths, right? They're not all in the same course. They don't all run the same. Some of them are shorter. Some of them are longer. Um, I think it's an excellent um, analogy. And um, another thing that I wanted to pick up on when you were talking about, you know, science and life, um, sometimes we call it the life sciences, but really it's more about the science of life, right? Enabling life with science and kind of finding that that balance um, to offer solutions and really meeting, again, unmet need um, and, and accomplishing that goal of better patient outcomes. What do you see if you were to have a bit of a crystal ball? You know, we have you mentioned some new technologies and technology is coming at us pretty fast now. Um, I wonder in five years, how do you see kind of the landscape of the space you're in um, improving? Uh, there's so much opportunity, I think, out there every day. And I think that there's so much to capitalize on. I just wonder what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, uh, yeah. My hope is uh, when it comes to market access, uh, especially in the U.S., there'll be more and more creative models. Because it, it's it's a real challenge. I know with introduction of cell therapy, gene therapy, there more creativity came into play with kind of payment that it's broken down uh, to certain amount of years. Uh, hopefully, there'll be more and more in this arena, and some of the therapies will become more accessible and in cheaper to manufacture as well when it comes to cell therapy, gene therapy. I had a chance to work at gene therapy at Tasha and I saw how it, how tremendously needed it is, but how tremendously challenging it is at the same time. 
hopefully with you know AI solutions, we'll be able to enhance both drug development, target identification, better design of antibodies, and subsequently it can shorten the development time, shorten the development time, the value is brought to patients faster. So my hope it, you know, all, all of those components together will be, be able to help patients. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And in some cases somewhat, um, like I said, the pace is, 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 it's great that it's picking up, but the pace is picking up. And so we have to kind of keep up in some cases, and I agree with you. I think the new technologies, artificial intelligence, and all the other ones that are coming, I think the digital space is going to be so powerful. You guys are in that space using imaging and some other um, tools that really enable the physician and the surgeon to kind of get a better view beyond, um, you know, this, the traditional surgical uh, exploration in order to kind of find things. So I really think that the future looks quite bright. Um, and to your point, making it accessible to everyone is, of course, one of the big challenges that I think everyone's also working on. So I, I think that, um, you know, we talked a lot about your career and your history and your background. I wonder if you weren't spending 28 hours a day on everything that you're currently doing, if you were going to do something else, what what would it be that you might do um, other than maybe this? Yeah, so I, I would definitely travel. Uh, now, we're not in COVID times anymore, so uh, we as a family like to travel when we have the opportunity. There are still a lot of places I haven't seen. I also like, and, and you mentioned earlier when you present me, I'm part of investment fund, and I always uh, fascinating investing and hearing about new technologies. So this is, might be another opportunity. Also, when you have un unlimited time and maybe a, unlimited resources, <laughs> that's something I would be able to focus more on and yeah. uh, provide value to society. And that's another good angle that you have because. Investors look at this very differently than um, the scientists and maybe the folks who are actually trying to bring that therapy out um, and solve that unmet need. You know, they have a different responsibility. They have um, obviously they're mission driven as well. But interesting perspective, again, that, you know, coupled with your economics background and your science background, it sounds like you have a truly kind of unique way to look at you know, how these things can come into the marketplace, um, which I think is really awesome. Uh, I wanted to just say that what a fabulous conversation today. I am so glad that we got the chance to talk and I cannot wait to keep up and see where you're headed and what comes next for you. I'm really excited to have you today. Thank you so much, Katie. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of LifeSphere where we talk with leaders in the life science industry about what inspires them and how we all can work together because the patient is waiting. Please find us on Spotify, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. Like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we look forward to joining you on the next episode.